Hi, and welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. We're so glad you're joining us. Ethnos is a new organization looking to join in the holistic, community-transforming work happening in Highland Park and New Brunswick. A part of that includes thinking about the spiritual health and vitality of our community. Each week, our gathering is meant to give our community a safe and helpful place for that. Today's episode is titled Good News Identity, led by speaker Yukon Chu. As our musicians and also the poetry has kind of prepared us for, this is the beginning of what we call the Advent season uh, for those who are Um, followers of Jesus and those interested in the life and teaching of Jesus. And so we are going to um, actually talk about Advent today, but in a sort of of different way. We are in the final talk actually in our series called Good News, and we're going to talk about Advent actually through this final discussion surrounding this series called Good News. Now, as many of you know, we uh, like to spend time here processing our spiritual journey through the teachings of Jesus, of course. Uh, We believe that it's important to have a guide in our spiritual journey. Uh, There are a lot of great spiritual ideas out there, uh, lots of great help we can receive. Uh, We've decided that Jesus is unique among all the options out there. We invite you to bring, of course, your thoughts and ideas to the table as we look at his life and teaching. And so uh, in any case, we've been in this series for the last few months, ending today, called Good News. It's a series where we've looked at specifically the unique teachings of Jesus found in one of his biographies called Mark. And we've asked ourselves the question, well, You know, some 2,000 years ago, he came and he said this was good news. What does it mean for us today? How is this good news for us today? And what we've been discovering, of course, in this series is that this ancient biography, this ancient person 2,000 years ago has a lot of relevance for us today. In fact, fact, what he said some 2,000 years ago could be said right here in the midst of our crazy world today and have just as big an impact for us right now. And so today, as we do this final conversation in this series, I'm excited because I think this final conversation will have just as much impact as we've been discovering in this series. To get started, of course, uh, we want to turn to our neighbors and converse about a question that will get us ready for what we're about to read. And today, in this final discussion, we're going to be talking about the issue of identity. What gives us worth? What gives us meaning? What makes us us? And so to get us started, I want you to turn to your neighbor and process this question together. What do you currently, where do you currently find your sense of meaning and identity? Where do you currently define yourself as you? How do you define me as me? Can you take about two minutes, turn to your table partners and just talk about your process of identity formation right now? Two minutes. All right. So, uh, as usual, let's let's open it up for a conversation here as a larger larger group. Who wants to get us started? How do you currently define yourself? How do you currently find a sense of identity? Where do you find it? Okay, Deborah, you're gonna get us started. Thanks. Well, right now, because I'm living in a house with my son who was 34 years old, and then I'm living in, uh, the kids live there, so there's a four and a nine-year-old, two nine-year-olds. So there's two, there's like three different identities, but they know which one not to deal with. (laughs) They know which one not to deal with. 
That's that's an interesting way to put it. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna assume you mean mom, grandma, some of those things. Okay, okay, all right, yeah, no, that's those are real identities. Let's give Deborah a hand. Thanks for getting us started. Yeah. Who else? Who else wants to share with us? Where where are you currently finding a sense of identity? Yeah, let's head back here. All right, all right. Yeah. I think I was sharing that, like, I think I kind of processing a little bit. Unfortunately, I think I find my identity in the opinions of other people, yeah. right? Yeah. So, when, for example, when I go and, like, if I'm asked the question, like, name three, like, traits about yourself, I usually think about what people have said about me before, not so much what I think I am, but what I, other people perceive me to be. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think. Yeah, let's give it up for Jenny. Thanks for being honest about that. How many of us, truth be told, Jenny, I think you kind of spoke for a lot of us. How many of us kind of base our identity with some of some opinions from other people? Let's let's be honest. Yeah, okay, yeah. So those of us who are honest, I would say, yeah, that, that happens. That happens. Who else? Who else wants to process with us? Where else do you find your sense of identity? Yeah, over here. So I, I find as a PhD student that um, I, I tend to always be focused on writing that next line of the CV. It's what I do with almost without time limits every um, day of the week. And trying to, um, trying to ground my identity in God actually requires subverting what I do or making sure that something, uh, time with God comes first in the morning or at last thing at night, and it's sort of a struggle to to remember that all day long, and so it's daily a constant battle to sort of have what the world tells me my identity is and what God tells me, and keep that first. Yeah, let's give it up for Jesse. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah, what I hear you saying is your identity is wrapped up in some of what you do, a lot of what you do, and the success in which you do it with. Right? Yeah, I think a lot of us. Have our identity wrapped up there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Who else? Maybe a couple more. Yeah, over here. Uh, yeah, so I would define myself by um, the people who have influenced me at certain points in my life. Um, and going back to about um, the opinions that other people have of us, like we all are, we come into situations where we're tempted to, you know, succumb to peer pressure or whatever. And when we don't, you know, relinquish like that those values that we had from like those like special people in our lives then i think that's like the best indicator of what's what what defines you yeah let's give it up for lucas yeah absolutely what i hear you saying is um we identify ourselves through people who've influenced us and and some of that's good right some of that's really good some of that can be like you alluded to a little bit a little dangerous right we can lose our identity uh with somebody maybe a a significant other or maybe a uh, authoritarian figure who's defined us a little too much, something like that. Yeah, those those are interesting. Maybe one more, one more. Anybody else? Okay, back here. Yeah, I see someone raising their hand, someone pointing their finger at the other person. <laughs> it must be good. It must be good. Um, hi, my name is Shannon. Um, one hey, <laughs> one thing we talked about in our group was um, we define ourselves by what people ask we are. So a lot of ethnic and cultural background is going into that. And I tend to make a lot of decisions based on how people assume my culture is, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, let's give it up for Shannon. No, 
I think that's huge, right? Like, especially, uh, especially in our day and age, right, where, where this issue of ethnic identity is such a big deal. Like, yeah, we can very easily let that maybe drive us and define us in ways that are good, I think, and maybe sometimes ways that uh, poses challenges. Well, you know, you know, the fascinating thing with, with this question, of course, is all of us have an answer to this question, whether we like it or not. And that's not to say it's good or bad. It's just, it just is. We are people who, since the beginning of like, human, humanity, we have always been trying to understand where we find meaning. We've always been trying to define ourselves in certain ways. Uh, it's something that is unique, I think, to the human spirit, right? Like, I don't think giraffes like, stand around and eat grass and think, how do I identify myself today? Or how should I think about my, my, my spots? you know, as a giraffe, if they're too big or too small. What does that mean? Right? I, I, I don't think that, I think this is something really unique to who we are as human beings. And the reality, of course, is like we've alluded to as, as well, it's like sometimes we're, we're happy with how we define ourselves. Uh, I think oftentimes, though, we, there's a bit of a tension, isn't there? Uh, good, there's some things we like about this one identity, but then we feel like, oh, man, if I go too far there... I don't like how that looks or feels or how that's defined. And so it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating, strange, sometimes painful journey in trying to understand and define ourselves. It's no surprise, of course, when Jesus was here some 2,000 years ago that he talked about this often. But today, as we look at this final passage in our Good News series this is going to be a strange, strange passage for us at first glance, because at first, you and I will probably think, wait, this has nothing to do with identity. But bear with me, because I think it has everything to do with identity. If we understand what happened some 2,000 years ago for the ancient followers of Jesus, and then we think about what this actually means for us today. The message Jesus, I think, will want to communicate with us here today is this. Much of what we pin our identity on will not last. In fact, much of it will probably go away very quickly and sometimes in very destructive or in very sudden ways. But there is a way to find who we really are if we'll open up to who Jesus is saying we are. Okay? Let's take a look at this passage. All right? It, yeah, the excerpt's here. And um, I'll just read the first two paragraphs and then try to tell you how this actually relates to all that we're talking about, okay? So again, this is our final, uh, final reading from this biography of Jesus. And it actually occurs in the final week of Jesus' life before he gets crucified on a cross. And we'll explain a little bit more why he has to go through that and all that sort of thing. And so the story, the excerpt goes like this. As Jesus was leaving the temple, we're talking about the Jewish temple of the time, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? 
Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. Now I'm going to stop here. Uh, you can feel free to read on as I talk, but if this is a fascinating passage. How does this tie in with this issue of identity? I mean, at first glance, it sounds like, oh my goodness, this is like a doomsday, end of the world sort of passage, right? And in fact, many, many, many people have interpreted it as such. Uh, we'll look at some of the later parts. It does talk about, quote unquote, the end times and those kind of things. But really, the story gets started, right, with this issue surrounding this temple that the Jewish people some 2,000 years ago are really in awe of. Right? You see that in the opening, uh, opening sentence? They're walking around in Jerusalem, and there's this temple, and they're in awe of it. It's important to understand how people understood this temple back then. Here's a picture of the temple, just in case you're wondering, a kind of artist rendition of what it looked like in Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, uh, much of the walls, many of the walls are still there, actually. I've been there, and a, a lot of it, you can tell, is still intact, but a lot of it's gone. But for the Jewish people of that time, this temple was their primary source of identity. In fact, religiously, politically, socially, it was their main source of where they found meaning, where they found purpose, how they understood themselves both individually and as a nation. If you're aware of their history up till this point in Jesus' time period, you'll be aware of why, how this happened. It happened because of many reasons, both religiously, politically, socially, all these kind of things. But it, you need to understand that this was the main source of identity. Now, it may sound kind of weird, but this is how it kind of works in our day and age. Uh, for some of us, not all of us, but some of us, when we see this next picture, we there's a sense of identity that comes. Not for all of us, of course, but for some of us, it, we, we, we feel like perhaps like, oh yeah, we are, we are, we're somehow American, whatever that might mean. We see the Capitol building perhaps and we get a sense of, oh, this is like, this is where our laws are, are, are decided on. This is, this is kind of the center of our political power. Uh, there, this is actually during Obama's inauguration, and so some of you may identify with that. You're like, oh yeah, Obama, the president, whatever. Like, um, there's this sense of like, okay, this makes me feel a certain way about who I am and what I'm about, right? If you go on to the next picture, uh, perhaps uh, this is again a picture of uh, actually Obama's inauguration, right? There's a sense of like, wow, there are a lot of people here. This is kind of defines me. Maybe you were, maybe you still remember this 2008 inauguration moment. I remember it. I was like, oh my goodness, a person of color is our president? Like, it made me feel all sorts of things. Like, wow. It was a very powerful moment, right? It identified me in a certain way. Maybe this one doesn't, but the next picture does. And you remember when the Twin Towers fell. And you remember perhaps the sense of loss. Like something in you died. Like a sense of identity. Like was messed up right? 
And so even though we don't live some 2,000 years ago with the Jewish people and have this, these strong ties to a place called the temple, we have these other physical monuments that we, we have a sense of worth, meaning, identity with. Now, of course, much like we shared earlier, though, I think maybe even more relevant are the various things like our ethnic identity, our sexual identity, our relationships and how we identify with them, what we do, our accomplishments, our, our successes, our, our socioeconomic status, both if we have a lot or if we have very little. We tend to find identity in those things very quickly. Jesus is telling these people some 2,000 years ago, you know what? You see this thing you identify with the most? It looks really grand. It looks really big. I mean, it, no, no Jewish people thought that thing, that temple was going to go down. And yet Jesus is saying, actually, this is going to be taken away. I wonder for us today, just thinking through what we identify with, how we form our identity, those things that we use to define us, how secure is that really? Has God perhaps even been already poking holes in that to help you realize, eh, Yukon, you may not want to put your eggs in that basket. You may not want to use that as your primary source of identity. Now, the story goes on, or this, this excerpt goes on, and there are a lot of details in this excerpt. If it, in fact, um, I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but I believe, it, and you can hopefully see this at the beginning, that this is a passage about the destruction of this temple, right? This temple will actually be destroyed in, 80, in 70 AD by the Roman Empire. We know that historically. It's, it's in the books. Jesus here is actually predicting that destruction. Now, as he describes it, though, a lot, again, a lot of people will think like, oh, this is about like the end times, not just the destruction of the temple, but about the end times. And, and they get that idea because as, the, as, the, as it gets going, it, it kind of describes things in sort of like epic monumental terms. For example, if you look at uh, the paragraph starting in verse 20, in number 20, this is like three quarters of the way down. Again, we're still describing this destruction of the temple, but if you read this paragraph, it sounds like really epic. It reads like this, right? If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels to gather the elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And this sounds like really like universal and huge and all these things, but again, if we're reading it correctly, this is actually still talking about the destruction of the temple. Now, why is it using some of these epic terms? Well, if we read the historians of the time, and you can look at your extra study notes. If you turn around uh, your sheet today, We've provided a lot of extra study notes because we want you to be confident of, you know, what this is actually talking about. But if you look at the historians of this time, they will describe the Jewish wars that surrounded the destruction of the temple 
with these epic term, terms, okay? And not only that, this whole idea of like the, the, the stars falling from the sky and all those things, those are actually taken from Jewish thoughts from uh, the period prior to Jesus, from the prophets that existed prior to Jesus. And whenever you read about these kind of stars falling, the universe, the blood turning, the, the moon turning like blood red, all those things, if you read it in context, you realize that those are the ways people would describe the rising and falling of empires, okay? And so this is talking about the fall, essentially, of an empire, the fall of the Jewish empire in pretty catastrophic terms. But then what about this whole thing about the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and all those things? Again, that's actually taken, and it's in the extra study notes, from a prophet by the name of Daniel in the seventh chapter, and he's describing actually the change of empire from the empire of, that existed in that time period to the empire set up by Jesus, the kingdom. We've been talking about this idea of kingdom in this series, set up by Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying here, I think, is that, hey, Jewish people, you've put your identity, your hopes, your sense of meaning and worth, both individually and collectively in this temple. The temple is going to be falling very soon. I am coming to set up something new. I'm coming to be a better source of hope, meaning, encouragement, identity. I'm coming to replace that temple. Will you be open to me and what I have to say? Now, what's interesting, of course, is that this message is so relevant for us today, too, right? We've already asked the question, what are you putting your hope in? How are you finding your identity? What's, what's giving you meaning? Is that really secure? Is that really stable? I think most of it would be like, uh, probably not. But then what are we left with? Nothing? Or could it be that Jesus has all along been saying, I want you to consider me as your main source, as your ultimate source of identity and meaning. You know, I remember when I first met Jesus, uh, and many of you have heard different stories uh, from my journey uh, with Jesus. I, I, uh, Jesus met me, I met Jesus at the age of 14. And like many people, I think, at the age of 14, all the 14-year-olds, raise your hand. 14? Any 14-year-olds? Yeah, yeah, okay. How many of us have been 14? Yeah, all of us. Okay, right, yeah. So... But I remember, you know, when you're 14, you're dealing with 14 problems, right? Like, they're real. They're legit. And I remember uh, my coming to Jesus also kind of went hand in hand with a romantic relationship, right? Like, it, you can never get away from these things sometimes, right? Like, it's just like, why is this? Why, is, why does meaning and identity always have to deal with, like, a romantic relationship? I don't know. But um, I remember as I was coming to Jesus, like, <laughs> it was really funny. This girl... I was dating, I mean, it, it was like, it was a thing. Like, I had so much hope and, and all these things uh, in this person. And I remember telling this person at the age of 14, I think we were 15 at this time, I was like, hey, if you ever break up with me, don't do it like this. Right? I told her not, how not to do it. Which is basically, don't do it, like, without telling me in person. Don't do it through a letter. Don't, you know, just back then we didn't have texts. We didn't break up through texts or anything. Like, we wrote letters. Yeah. Like, this is like in the 80s and 90s, right? So, like, um, 
And so I remember, I remember so clearly that, guess how she broke up with me? Exactly. Yeah, 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 through a letter. And um, I remember being so crushed. I, I remember I, I was really like emo, sort of, emo is kind of like melancholy. Young people don't know what emo means anymore. We're bringing back emo as a term, right? You know emo, emo, all right, emo, okay, sorry. Um, I was really emo kid, and I remember like going to my backyard with a little like tin can, those holiday tin can cookie things, emptying it, putting the letter in there, and like lighting it on fire, right? Yeah, yeah I was like, I was that happy. I was that happy. But I remember at that moment, it was funny because, because I felt God speaking to me. All right, I was coming to Jesus, like this was all happening at the same time. And, and it struck me, it struck me that Jesus was like, yeah, you can't, you realize how much of your identity was tied into this relationship. I was like, oh yeah, huh, I guess. And it was the beginning of my journey. It was the beginning of my journey with Jesus. But that doesn't just happen when you're 14, right? That happens when you're 24. It happens when you're 34. Happens when you're 44, 54, 64. It, that, that process continues to happen. Jesus continues to show us that all that we put our identity in, it, it, it's going to be passing. It's not, not going to last. There is one thing that will last, though. And so, how do we move forward? How do we, how do we actually then have Jesus be a source of identity? What does that actually mean, and what does it look like? Well, I'm going to um, share my thoughts on that based on the rest of this excerpt. But before we get there, I want you to turn to your neighbor and process what we've talked about so far, okay? Uh, simple questions. What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? And uh, start the conversation from there, right? Two minutes, turn to your neighbors. What do you agree with? What do you disagree with so far? You know, I know there's a lot to process with this. I mean, we could have uh, added a number of other layers that we have not added, right? We could have easily added layers that included, uh, so, you know, the field, uh, the, the field of science and, like, human development and talk through identity formation, perhaps from a psychological uh, child development perspective, we haven't done that. Uh, we could have talked about a lot more like epistemology, like those of you into philosophy and how we form ideas and define things. Like, so I want to just acknowledge this is a huge topic, right? Identity formation is a huge topic. So I don't want to downplay any of the nuances, but I hope, I, hope, I, hope we're, I hope our minds are going and I hope we're asking ourselves a question. Yeah, how... How am I defining myself? What am I using to define myself? And is that actually reliable? And could it be, could it be that Jesus is a source that is reliable? Now, the question, of course, is, okay, well, if Jesus is a source that is reliable, if he's someone, if his ways, his teachings are something we should incorporate in or, or let ultimately define us, how might it happen? What might we need to be aware of? How might we be sensitive to what he's saying? I want to just point out three things from this uh, excerpt here that are worth thinking about. And if we can go to the, the, the slide with these three points, I think these are going to be really important, okay? 
Uh, the first is this idea that this process of identity formation, when you let Jesus kind of into the picture, will be painful. Amen. It'll be painful. Uh, if, you, if you notice this, uh, this excerpt today, uh, we haven't read through all of it, but there are certain parts right at the halfway mark in the, on the first page where Jesus is talking about basically as this temple is getting destroyed, basically how devastating it will be for the city and the residents of the city, and specifically for those who are followers of Jesus. He talks about their suffering. He talks about the pain that will be inflicted on them, all these sorts of things. It will be a painful process for this temple to be torn down. And I think many of us can relate very quickly that if we've gone through an identity kind of tearing down process, that has been a painful process, hasn't it? I mean, I think of those of us who perhaps have grown up in situations where um, our identity was formed by family. And as we realize family formed our identity a little too much and we've had to move away from family, that's a painful process. That's a hard process. People get hurt. We get hurt. We get insecure. A lot of things happen. So this, this process is painful. But remember, this is, Jesus is talking about good news, okay? So this, there, there's something at the end that is better, right? We've been talking about this idea of good news in this whole series. So the process is painful, but there's something good at the end. The second thing we need to realize is we should spend time discovering what Jesus is actually saying to us about identity formation. I get this from the, the, the almost last paragraph here. It's actually the beginning of the last sentence on the front page. The final thing Jesus says uh, to these people in, in 32, and 32 is actually where the tide begins to turn, and he's actually talking about the future, not the destruction of the temple anymore, but the future, his second coming. Uh, Jesus talked about this every so often, and, and followers of Jesus since then have believed it, that Jesus will actually come again uh, sometime. But he says this, but about that, that day or hour, that day meaning that, that singular day. He's been talking about these days before. So he switches to a singular day here. That day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about his second coming, but then he knows this. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned tasks, and tells them, tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, keep watch. I love this imagery, this, this metaphor that Jesus is using, because I think it's helpful for us to think through how might, how might we be aware of Jesus in this identity formation process? Two things I get the, from this story. That the first, or point number two, is we need to discover what he's saying. Figure out what you're, in this metaphor, what your assigned task is from the master of the house. Each of us have an assignment from God. Each of us have been assigned to do something. Each of us has, have been assigned to be somebody in God's eyes. What is that assignment? How can you discover that? Get on the process of trying to figure it out because in that is a part of the puzzle of 
what it means to let Jesus identify you. And then the last thing I get, again, from this story is to have this, what I call the Jesus is relevant right now mentality. This whole idea of keeping watch, like you don't know when he's coming back, so keep watch. Now, some of us may read that and get really anxious and think like, oh my goodness, is Jesus like telling us to live like these kind of worrisome lives about like, oh no, we don't know when he's coming. I, I don't think that's his, his heart, okay? I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to do. I do think Jesus always produces tension in our lives. He always challenges the status quo. So, so if we feel some tension with this, that's probably a good thing because there's maybe a status quo. Jesus is saying, yeah, you got to, again, this temple has got to go. It's got to get destroyed. Something better has to come in. But with this keep watch idea, I think what he's saying is this idea that, like, we need to have this mindset that, wow, Jesus is, like, relevant, like, right now, right here. Like, we need to be aware that he's actually a thing right here, right now, at this present moment, in this present place in my life. And if we can kind of have that mindset, right, we could probably imagine how all of a sudden our sense of identity, our sense of meaning, our sense of purpose will probably begin to shift ever so slightly, right? If you have this mindset in your relationships, for example, as you're scrolling through or swiping through, like who you want to be with or not be with, if you realize, oh, Jesus is relevant right here, right now, oh, That'll probably make you swipe a little differently. Or maybe make you put down the phone or something, right? Like, like maybe I shouldn't be swiping. Oh, okay, yeah, right. Um, or at work, when you're working on your CV, like Jesse was saying, Jesus is relevant right here, right now. What does that mean for your CV, for your pursuits, for the hours you spend building your CV? You can see how just having this mindset might be a game changer. Now, of course, as we think about all this, this sounds like an impossible task. And I think so far in this Good News series, all of our talks have kind of ended in a place where it's like, oh my goodness, this is a great idea of how to live, or this is a great concept of how we can find meaning. But this is hard. And so it's always important to realize that this is exactly why Jesus came the planet Earth. He came here, and this is what we celebrate in this Christmas season, isn't it? He came here not to just be a taskmaster and tell us how it's done. No, but he came here as a humble human being to ultimately say, this is an impossible task, to find goodness and meaning in this very messed up world with our very messed up hearts. We need Jesus. We need his help. We need to ultimately surrender and let him tear down the temples, so to speak, in our lives and build us back up to what he would want us to be. Join me in a final word of prayer. And God, as we take this moment to ask some pretty personal questions in this season, God, would you help us? Would you help us to say yes to the ways you're knocking on our doors, the way you're prodding us, the ways you're inviting us onto the journey of finding something secure and firm in our identity? It is a confusing journey. It is something we 
we, we admit we, we don't know a lot about, um, and yet we're thankful that you're here with us and guiding us. Thank you for coming some 2,000 years ago in the Christmas manger, uh, showing us what you're like, showing us how welcoming and embracing you are. Would we continue to turn to you in this season and rest in that embrace and that welcome? Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.